Hi, this is Andy and welcome to our newest episode of the Wilderness Therapy and Residential Treatment Center Journey Podcast. Last episode, it was unbelievable. Melissa Bernstein from the well-known Melissa and Doug Toy Company joined us to share her story about depression and her new book and program called Lifelines. It was amazing talking with someone who's been so successful, but is human. She has challenges too. I hope you will tune in if you haven't already. Are many of you listening, struggling during COVID? Many are challenged by lack of connection, especially children who are learning remotely. I think we're all looking forward to a safer and better connected society in the near future. COVID has certainly brought out the best and worst of us. And while parenting is often fulfilling, it could be so hard. But a lot of that is up to us as parents, no matter how young or old they may be. So today, we want to dig into a great topic, which is the surprising reasons why some kids struggle and others shine. So I'm really excited today to welcome Dr. Michelle Borba, who's the author of a new book called Thrivers, which focuses on this topic. She suggests that kids who thrive are made and not born. So the role of the parent is so essential. And just reading from um, some information she shared with me about the book, Thrivers is a sharp, insightful, science-backed guide that helps parents and educators teach the essential character strengths kids need to become thrivers, young people who flourish in a rapidly changing, anxiety-driven, uncertain world. She's a best-selling author and regular NBC contributor, identifies seven teachable strengths that will safeguard kids for now and in the future, mixing a keen cultural analysis of modern stresses with practical how-to strategies and ideas for everyday activities that build up kids' mental strength, resilience, happiness, and success. So there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, and the seven teachable strengths um, that um, I read in the book and that I also saw on a podcast that uh, uh, Dr. Borba shared we're really inspiring. So this is going to be an ex a fun and educational episode. So thanks so much, Michelle, for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I've been looking forward to this. Excellent. And she's uh, dialing in from sunny Palm Springs. So um, Michelle, before you before we get started, can you share about your background and how you became some such a prolific book writer and somebody who um, understands, um, you know, what drives parent health or parent, you know, how parents uh, can help their kids? Sure. Well, I, I became a prolific writer only because I had Mrs. Nunley in as an eighth grade teacher who told me I should grow up and be a writer. So we can put it there. She was extraordinary. My background started uh, actually as a special education teacher. So I, I was in special education, got my master's in learning disabilities, and along the way, I've always been passionate about resilience and trying to figure out why some kids struggle and run, others do shine. I began to look a little bit more in depth in it and uh, got my doctorate in counseling and psychology, and uh, it became a fascinating concept from that on and on, gathering the research. I, I had the immense opportunity also to work on... Uh, 19, 19 countries around the world. So I've worked in with a number of different teachers, groups, schools, and everybody has the same concerns on how do we raise happy, happy kids, particularly in a very uncertain world as now. Wonderful. Um, 
speaking of that, um, you've worked with kids for a long time, and now you've said in 19 countries, and you've suggested that you've never been more worried than you are about this current generation. Can you kind of explain that and expound upon that? Yeah, I think what we saw is I've been tracking stats on, on American children and a worldwide kids uh, for quite a while. And what we do is we can track the stats compared to depression rates, suicide rates, um, uh, anxiety rates compared to each year. So it, we can really get a picture of, is it increasing? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? All of the above. And we began to see probably about well, gee, five years ago began to be a real trend is that depression rates were going up, particularly amongst girls. And then what we began to see, gee, last year, it was one in five American kids were going to be diagnosed with some kind of a mental health disorder. Then came the pandemic. We're now at one in four. So we always have known there's something going on. Uh, we parent based on different the times of the time and the culture in which we're raising our kids. Some of that was due to the cultural change. Certainly wasn't the DNA of our kids was changing, but it was this sense of urgency that we were raising a very smart group of kids. Their GPAs and their SAT scores have never been higher, but they've never been lonelier, sadder, and more stressed than now. Interesting. And so that has you concerned because obviously suicide rates are going up and kids are not going to be happy and thrive as much, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the bottom line on that one. It's extremely concerning. I get calls continually from parents with the two words, if only, because it's, it's very, very sad. I wrote Thrivers, by the way, um, at a point where it was just prior to the pandemic, but I was getting calls that were extremely disturbing. The one call was from Arizona that said, you have got to get here and help us. We are living in, quote unquote, a suicide belt. 40 kids have killed themselves in the last two years in a 20 mile radius. Now, I just did Dr. Phil last week and they brought two of those parents onto that show to say something is really amiss of what's going on with our kids. Unbelievable. So can you define a thriver what, in other words, what you have your seven, um, your seven strategies, and what makes a, a child a thriver? Uh, can you describe those character yeah, strengths? Yeah, a, a thriver is well. First of all, the definition of a thriver to me is a kid who's just got that I got it kind of an attitude. It doesn't make any difference what the kid's GPA or test score is. When he's pushed with a with a bump in the road. He is more of a, a kid who's got a little bit sense of agency that, that doesn't have such pessimism. He goes, I'll figure out a way around it. Uh, a striver is a kid who may push as long as they can, but when they come to the bump in the road, very often they don't go the, new, the nine yards. A lot of kids are survivors, and that is they're, they're just desperately trying to just, just forge their all, but they're not making it. What we have discovered that is remarkable that I certainly didn't know when I was raising my kids uh, is new science on resilience. And that is they've been tracking children. If you can imagine huge cohorts of kids that have, that are growing up in extremely adverse situations. We're talking schizophrenic parents, homelessness, war-torn areas, um, domestic violence and abuse. And this is Amy Werner's studies, Norm Gometsky's, just so you know, it's about five different huge longitudinal studies that have been going on for, for tracking the same kids. And they discovered something that was remarkable. And that is about a third of the way in, 
some of the kids were making it despite the adversity. So now the psychologist turned and said, if this is true, what is it that these kids have in common? And they found that the commonality was that they'd either had a protective buffer of a parent in their life who refused to give up on the kid. That's always the first one. The kids are always going to suffer from adversity. But the second thing was they had protective skills or buffers, coping strategies that they'd learned before they got into the crisis. So that became the impetus to writing Thrivers. If this is true, then let's break this down to what are the teachable strengths. I came up with seven because those are the most highly correlated to all of these pieces of science. And then what I did for each seven is identify three skills that are teachable skills that you can give, teach your child a little bit more of the protective factors. Some kids are by nature more sensitive. Some kids by nature are more stress driven, but it seems like all kids, we can give them some kind of coping skills at an earlier level. So the stress doesn't build to an all time high and then rack habit with their anxiety and depression. So from, Thank you. So from what I understand that the, the you mentioned the third of high-risk kids have succeed, succeed uh -huh. and, and, and you've suggested that um, those that are competent, confident, and caring are the ones that succeed the most, even if they are high-risk. And so some of these strengths that you're referencing are things that help develop those attributes. That's the commonality of why I chose those strengths is that they were the most highly correlated to resilient children who added, who were able to bounce back from adversity. Now, those are the same seven that fascinating is not only do they help kids with resilience, they also lower mental health problems, highly correlated. They keep coming up in science and proven right now in COVID studies, they're coming up with like China studies and, and, and UK studies that are finding that those kids that are getting through COVID better are kids that have similar kinds of these strategies and they're all teachable. So those were the end products. There's also a buy-in that's interesting. They also help kids become peak performers in a classroom. So it's not either or. And uh, I think a lot of these study, these seven strengths are ones that we kind of put on the back burner. And so we haven't been teaching them or we never as parents in all fairness to us, we never had the toolkit on how do you teach these skills. Sure. So um, I'm sure our listeners are chomping at the bit now to kind of dig into <laughs> these seven strengths. Um, so sure. can you share? Can you share a bit about each? You know, uh, tell us about each one. Sure. What Thrivers does is each chapter is one of these strengths, and it's broken down by skills and then grade levels. So if you have a little critter, here's how things you can do for the little one: middle size, bigger, bigger, bigger. It's all age-related kinds of things. But I want it to don't think because your child is 15 it's too late, or don't think if your child is three it's too early. It seems like there's no cutoff. You just have to scaffold it. Of uh, the sounds like the foundation to it all is a level of self-understanding. The parent understands the kid. The kid understands themselves and you recognize what your strengths are. If we looked at one of the highest correlations of resilient children, many of them don't do well in school. Many of them uh, certainly uh, may not do well in certain workplaces, but they have knowledge of what their strengths are. And so they follow that path. 
one of the things that I discovered that was concerning is that a lot of times we spend as parents too much going against their strengths or putting them into areas that aren't what they're really, maybe the wrong school or the wrong clubs or not following it. So it tanks the confidence. The simple thing is in, in the easiest way to begin all this is in the first chapter of Thrivers in self-confidence, there's a four page core asset survey. And it's just quietly as a parent trying to figure out who your kid is. What are their learning strengths? What are their hobbies? What are their interests? What do they like to, what do they spend a little bit more time doing? Usually it's not what we love, but it's what their kid loves. It could be going against the grain, but that's what that kid, usually we now know, uses to decompress. When we look at resilient children, we discover a lot of them have hobbies. It could be guitar, it could be, um, it could be drawing, it could be writing. I don't care what the hobby is, but they use that to decompress. Emmy Warner said that's a great thing for parents to do starting at a young age, just figure out who the kid is. So habit number one is there's lots of ways to instill it is self-confidence. And that's we can, a way to find purpose and meaning by yes, trying it new is. things? Trying new things to figure out what works for the child, which is interesting because I think our best adolescent psychologist in the world is Bill Damon. He's from Stanford. And he's watching a trend of kids coming into Stanford that is changing. He said only about 20% of incoming college freshmen, very smart, but lack purpose and meaning. So they don't have direction over their own life. And that is tanking them, making them feel more empty. By the way, I almost titled the book Running on Empty because I was interviewing hundreds of kids across the U.S. And I'd say, how are you feeling? And even though these kids were very sharp and doing extremely well, they began to say, we're feeling like we're running on empty. Great. Can we move on to the second one? Sure. The second one is empathy. And it's a, a we, not a me kind of a kid. If there's anything we now know is that one of the highest correlations to mental health is that kids who feel connection, which is then COVID hit, loneliness set in, 43% of American kids say they're very, very lonely and stress and anxiety started to build. The Surgeon General has a great new book out that it's called Together. He said the most underrated commodity of mental health is connection with another human being. And we as a society over the last, I, I think probably when your kids are starting to grow up, we became more and more addicted to the computer. We became more and more screen driven. We we stopped having our kids have play dates when they were five. We, we removed sandbox from their lives. And we began to see in the year 2000, a nosedive in American kids' empathy, 40% dip in 30 years and going nosedive. Then, then at the same time, mental health needs went up. So we've learned this as one of the, one of the horrible things that COVID has done for us all. Anxiety is going up in us all. And one thing we do know, when, when stress builds, you dial your empathy down because you're in survival mode. And the outcome, if you keep doing that, is burnout. So if you look at what's happened to us all across the US, we're all burned out because uh, we're trying to protect ourselves and we don't have connection with each other. So it's harder to act compassionately, much less receive it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and we, because you're trying to protect yourself. Now, here's the other thing that's happened to COVID and happened to our children. 
at the same time of empathy, uh, now we're looking at screens that we told our kids not to do. And we do know that after a while, yeah, there's positive tough to screens. So let's not just bad mouth that all across the board. But we do know anxiety goes up when you start looking down. The, the American tw tween, middle school kids said they're more comfortable texting than talking. So they're looking down, not up. How does that have to do with empathy? You can't feel with another person unless you can look at the person and go, she looks sad or he sounds upset or look how daddy's standing. He looks really stressed. So that's going down. The other thing that's curtailing us right now is the doom and gloom reports. So if you are a kid and all you're seeing every day is a deadly death march of how many people have died, images can galvanize our empathy and build us up, but they can also diminish our empathy and take us down. So you have to be careful because we've been seeing a year of doom and gloom. Absolutely. Which, Our third one is? The one everybody in the world needs right now, self-control. <laughs> Coping strategies. Now, here's the thing that we do know, that we do know that some kids are a little more hypersensitive than others. I've got three kids, and I can tell you which of mine were from day one. But we also know that kids need coping strategies. And if they don't have that coping strategy, the latest report, I just, just actually got it from off the internet about three hours ago, was that those kids who have coping strategies now are faring better in COVID as well. What teens tell me that's fascinating, I said, well, hey, what's going on? I understand you're the most stressed out generation known to man. He says, boy, that's for sure. Every kid admitted they are. But every kid said the problem is we're given a whole bunch of stuff for stress management stuff, but you've got to give us a repertoire because you've got to figure out what works for you. And then you got to figure out how to keep practicing it till it becomes you and it becomes a habit. Well, one of the things you shared um, that I had understood and studied and heard about was the marshmallow test. Yes. And yes. And, uh, and I kind of have always lived by that. And, and, you know, I didn't grow up wealthy. And so I didn't get everything I wanted. And so I had to wait and learn kind of that discipline. And I think a lot of people want the instant feedback nowadays and don't have that delayed gratification. And that marshmallow test was an example of young kids, for those who don't know, young kids who had to wait to uh, decide to eat a marshmallow that was given to them and the ones who were able to demonstrate um, uh, patience um, and were tracked ended up being more successful. Is that right? Yes, it is. And the fascinating thing is the, in the researcher on that, it took him 40 years to realize that he was also had some wrong theories about why kids could wait. He came out with a new book that I love called The Marshmallow Test. And he said, took him 40 years to study the same kids. But now he knows that those kids at age four that could wait, the reason they could had nothing to do with their DNA. It had to do with the fact that their parents had taught them waiting games. So it's simple enough to say, let's put the, um, no, mommy can't talk. I'm on the phone right now when my hand's out like this. But a minute from now, we'll talk. I was in Disneyland and I'll never forget this one. The women's bathrooms, I don't know what it is, but we always have lines that go out from Timbuktu, right? And I remember a little kid, she was about four, comes running in, looked at the line and you just saw this, oh no. And mom turned to her and say, it's okay, sweetheart, just sing the waiting song. Every woman turned to the kid and went, what the heck is she gonna sing? What she sang was happy birthday three times. 
And by the time she got to the end, it went brilliant mother. She taught her a technique. Uh, we're doing the same thing each book, each chapter in Thrivers. I go and visit a school that's doing this brilliantly. The most brilliant school I've ever seen philosophy for preschool kids is called Tools of the Mind. It's mind boggling on how brilliantly they are teaching self-control. They say, yep, you got to teach your kid the ABCs, but the path to ABCs is self-control. So what they do is they actually sit down with four and five-year-olds at the beginning of the day and they ask them, now, which center are you going to go and play with today? They give them an index card and the kid says, I'm going to go to the you know, let's just say I'm going to go to the block center. Okay, sweetie pie, you're going to go to the block center. She writes out a play plan and she draws it out. Timmy will go to the block center, hold their card. That's his mediator. Now he goes to the block center, but every time he gets off track, the teacher says, what are you supposed to be doing? He looks at the mediator goes, oh, I'm supposed to be at the block center. It's helping the kids learn self-control. The test scores are going up and self-control as well. So there's fabulous ideas that are science driven that are, uh, helping kids learn to what thrivers do learn to put a break on the impulses some and kids is easier control than is so important it strengthens yeah. your focus as well okay yeah how about the fourth one fourth one is love it love it love it it's integrity and the reason for integrity is that it seems that emmy werner discovered that children with a strong value system or even prayer Interestingly enough, it doesn't mean you have to be spiritual, but some kids resort to prayer for their calming techniques. Some kids, because they have a value system or a strong knowledge of a moral code, when push comes to shove and they're hit with some faces of adversity, they don't have to think and get stressed out. They know what they stand for because it's been internalized in them. So it's easier to go over the bump. So the, the lesson of the forward. takeaway here is figure out what the heck you stand for and plant it inside your head in the kid's head and mind and heart because it's one more way to help them develop resilience foundation foundational elements yeah yeah okay that allows you to lead a a moral and ethical life which is which is awesome and important um the next one we're getting uh uh past the midpoint these are all awesome and this is my favorite one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I got so excited that it was in there because uh, it gets underrated. Curiosity. Now, it does not mean your kid's Albert Einstein. So he doesn't have to be a hyper creative child. But we have discovered is that resilient children, one of the things that helps them become resilient is they can think a little bit outside the box. So when the bump comes, they're not derailed by it. They're problem solvers. They go, okay, because they're open to people or they're open to ideas or new thoughts, they'll go, I'll find a way around it. The, the skill sets for a curious kid, because there's, again, three in each one of these, are teach your kid problem solving. Teach your kid to be um, outside con constructive arguers so they can argue their point. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, in our last episode, which I mentioned with Melissa Bernstein, she is of uh, the, the famous Milton Doug toy company. They talked about it. Uh, she talked about how tac being tactile and having tactile things without instructions about how to play with a game mm -hmm. 
there's no set of, there's no set of rules. So it, a younger kid develops that curiosity in terms of how to play. Now, if you have your phone in your hand, it's, you know, even as, at a young age or you're playing with an iPad or some kind of electronic game, it's very, you know, you, you don't develop the curiosity in the same way as you do playing outside or, 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 you know, or, um, you know, playing with something that was more tactile. That's exactly what, yeah, all of the, again, in each chapter, it's going to give you dozens of strategies, but I'm going to reinforce you on that one because open-ended possibilities and games are what kids need. That's why playing with Legos or playing with blocks are better in, in creating curiosity as opposed to a paint by numbers situation where the kid doesn't have to think outside the box uh, and always helping your kid continue to be inquisitive. Don't yeah. stop the whys because you want your kid to be able to, to always come to you with a question and you don't have to give them the answer. That's not the problem. Yeah, as the they get older, you want them to try new things, take those risks, become innovative, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Um, the second to last one, number six. Well, perseverance. That's the one we all want the kid to be right now, but the problem is very often our kids are tanking because they don't have the, the focusing ability of self-control. So the stress bills, that one takes down. But, but we do know that thrivers don't give up. They don't need a trophy or a, you know, a gold star in order to, to do so. They are intrigued by something and they continue. They have growth mindsets, what we do know. Uh, China just came back with kids who have a growth mindset who realize it's not a matter of your IQ or your GPA on whether you're going to get through something. It's how hard you work. Those kids are doing and faring much better during COVID. That's an interesting new study that just came out. That's one of the, one of the skill sets in Thrivers on that chapter. Teach your kids that it's not, uh, I, I'm not going to keep asking you how many did you get right. I'm not going to say what your grade is. Instead, I'm going to start praising you for you're hanging in there. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. And let's reframe success as a gain. Yesterday you were here. Today you're here. Let's just keep going with it. It's about effort, not being not about it, being it. smart. That's exactly right? it. Okay, great. Uh, and the last one. The last one is what everybody in the world needs right now, hope and optimism. <laughs> we're going to get through this. And why that has to be so critical, this one comes from, we're doing some really interesting work at uh, whether or not parents realize this. Many colleges now know that our kids coming in may be very smart with the GPAs, but they're lacking resilient skills. Yale, Harvard, UP, the first week of freshman orientation is teaching them optimistic thinking patterns, teaching them problem solving skills. They know that the kid is more likely to endure and also keeps the depression down. One of the things that mounts depression is every kid's going to have a negative day. I mean, me and you and me too. But if you continue to have negative thoughts, they become permanent and pervasive. And there goes any hope and optimism. It robs it. And we now know that, that, uh, well, pessimism just rises and optimism goes down. So there goes your resilience capabilities. All of these are teachable. So how do you teach optimism? One of the things you can do as a parent for a younger kid is to come up with a family mantra that starts modeling this. We got this, we'll get through it. And I'm saying this because Anna Freud did the most interesting study in the UK during World War II. They discovered that kids who thrived and were resilient in, in the UK, in London, during the bombing raids, what they did is they, they saved their kids. 
they put a lot of them on trains and put them out into the pastures away from their parents so that they would be safe and not get hit by the bombings. And then other kids stayed in every night during the air raids and horrible bombings and sightings. Then when they put the two kids together, which group of kids fared better? The ones who had their parents with them, I would think. Exactly. Yeah. If the parent was even, despite the air raids, I was interviewing somebody for that chapter and she happened to be an elderly journalist and she was asking me about optimism and I'd say, well, you just got through the bombings during World War II, how'd you make it? She says, I never thought about it. I never worried about it. I said, why? She says, well, as soon as the air raid sirens go off and as soon as she started hearing the bombings, my grandparents would pull the black shades and we'd start singing Ring Around the Rosie and doing songs and games and, we never thought about it because they were modeling optimism. We got through it. Right. And ironically, you know, in, in, we talk about children, but in the uh, more, you know, in the business world or in the real world, when people get jobs, more people own small businesses than work in corporate life. Mm -hmm. And so in order to run or start a small business, which I've done, you have to be optimistic <laughs> if you, you sure you're do. never going to make it if not. And so, um, so um, optimism is so important. So, well, you just nailed something though. Not only are these traits critical for resilience, but they're also 21st century skills and employers say Harvard business review said they're looking for the same skills for incoming employers, employees. So, this is a win-win that you're helping your kid package the whole thing and what's going to help them now and later. Great. So thanks for going through that and giving examples. And obviously in the book, it'll, it goes deeper into each of those with different tools and, and, and ways to look at that. And, and, and just um, moving on, can, talking a little bit more about resilience, can you tell us what you wish parents knew more about resilience? I think it's one of the most misinterpreted terms. I didn't realize it until I started doing parent workshops and I define it and I get these aha moments from parents. The biggest mistake is that it's one trait or it's one program that we buy, you know, like there's new programs that are coming out, how to build resilience in a workbook. Sure. And uh, it's, it's actually a process, not a program. It's not locked, so it's ongoing. So if you're worried about, but I got an older kid, or I'm an adult, I don't have these skills, it's never too late. Those are the big takeaways from it, that we all can make a difference, and it isn't either or. Either I raise a resilient kid or a peak performer. Both seems to package in together, and that's what's going to help our kids thrive now and later. And isn't that what parenting's all about anyway? Sure. Um, someone who's, who's well known in the, in the wilderness therapy and residential treatment space is called, his name is Dr. Brad Reedy. And he says that the task in parenting isn't, is not to raise a good child, but to raise a, a self. And that's the key to resiliency. So to me, I interpreted that as, you know, um, a self is someone who can be comfortable in their own skin and self-reliant. Mm -hmm. And parents need to welcome and embrace their kids' insecurities and challenges as opposed to um, allowing them to fester or putting them down for having, for acting that way. Oh, I love that. That's, that's so right. You know, and I love your wilderness approach because um, 
when you get to Perseverance, the opening story is about a wilderness camp and how it changed kids' lives. They said they, they walked in as a boy and I came out as a man. I had no idea that I could face adversity like that. Okay. What's the one question you say would help parents raise more confident kids? Um, I think it's who my, who is my child? Who is my child? And if you, you, it's not what I want him to be because we all have hopes and dreams, don't we? We always want this happy, successful kid. But if we really stop to, to take a moment to put an index card in front of our face and watch the kid a little closer and say, who is this kid? Who is this incredible human being in front of me and start describing the child for who he really is, that becomes your parenting plan. So it's acceptance and understanding. Yeah, it really is because the child will, it's a child driven approach. It doesn't mean that, that he doesn't need math and science and all those other things, but it's always following the best approach that'll help your kid reach become the best he can be in his full potential. And, and along those lines, how can parents help their children cope and feel less anxious in these extraordinary times? Well, I think the first thing is back to what Anna Freud would tell you, be calm yourself because fears and stress are catchable and it comes right down that even though we tell our kids, oh, we're gonna get through it. If you don't model that yourself, it doesn't work. Kids really are sharp and <laughs> they see through us. I think that's the first thing. And maybe this is one of those incredible reset moments to say, what are the coping skills that my kid has? Does he have those? If not, what can I give him so that when he finally does leave me, are those doors open? Are he still in the house? He has something that'll help him. What teens will say though, is don't use the skill that works for you, mom. Use the skill that's gonna work for me, mom. Give me some things and I'll be able to choose how best I can cope. For instance, it's guitar or the one-two breathing or watching a goldfish go round and around. Find out what works for your child and then practice it until it helps keep that anxiety down because it's doing havoc with our kids right now. Sure. When COVID hit and my oldest daughter came back home, she's 25, she came back home, she had been working at Disney and she can't, oh. She, oh. she started going a little stir crazy out, right out of the bat and I and I, you know, um, wanted to keep her productive and busy to, to, to help her, but it wasn't about me, it was about her. So I yeah. actually said, what is something, you know, what is a skill or something you want to build? And it was actually guitar. And she has become quite accomplished. She always wanted to do it. I said, I'll pay for your lessons. You just have to, you know, you just have to go for it if that's what you want to do. If not, pick something else. And, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a really great thing for her. So, so um, for, for, for parents of, of uh, teenagers or, uh, you know, or even, even younger kids, um, you know, how do you go about giving them those skills? Um, I know you can play some games. I know you model, um, you know, what doesn't seem to work is telling them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, well, I think what we have to do is play our own number five creative selves as parents and figure out how to be a little crafty. We do know that showing kids skills is better than telling them. You don't learn, uh, okay, now it's six o'clock, let's talk about integrity. So one way is you weave it in. 
you weave in some lessons while you're watching the movie Inside Out or Shawshank Redemption or you're reading Wonder with your kid. Those are moments to have natural talks about it. Discipline can be a natural talk about it. It can be your school is already teaching one plus two breathing, which they are. So let's model it at home and do the same thing. It's finding ways to weave it in. One of the most amazing ones is building empathy is a 17 year old kid told me that his mother, she was really crafty prior to Pam, prior to COVID, she was concerned about his empathy, but he didn't say know that. And so what she did is she partnered up with his uh, girlfriend's mother. <laughs> and what they did together is they bonded together and they started doing uh, service learning together at a homeless shelter. She knew that her son, that would drive him. That was what his passion and love yeah. was. She also knew that he was pulling away from her because he wanted more time with a girlfriend. So she met the needs. <laughs> they did it with the girlfriend, with the girlfriend's mother. And he said it was the most incredible experience of my life because I found something I love to do and I was really good at, but I never realized. He says, I love my mother so much. I went away to college. I didn't realize she was still working at the same homeless shelter. She started loving it too. So that's the kind of thing. It's going in the back door. Being creative and industrious for sure. Yeah. So parents are are confused and concerned, you know, given how, how things are changing for them with education and in-person hybrid and remote learning. Can you share why this is so important and what parts of childhood development should parents pay attention to when it comes to all that? Uh, I think the number one right now is is take a moment and pause as a parent and step into the shoes of your kid. That would be the eye opener because what does the kid need right now that he hasn't been getting? It's friends, it's connection, it's people, it's practicing those skills, it's being with others. And that in we've it's always been parents, it's always been safety first. So what we've done is make sure that our kids are safe. But now the doors are opening and they're going back to school and you may see anxiety peaking in your kids because they haven't had a chance to be with friends. And that's concerning. It's made such a big part of their lives. The key is it's going to be different for each child. Some kids are extroverts. Some kids are introverts. Some kids have been in school the whole time. Other kids have been in distant learning the whole time. Just figure out what your, your child's biggest concern right now is and figure out how to meet it. I'll give you one idea. The biggest one that I'm hearing from kids is they're scared to death of the virus. I'm going to get it because I've been told to be safe and now I'm going to die. So what do you do? You don't try to talk the kid out of a fear. You can't. But what you do is you crunch it. So just like when we did, when our kids were afraid of water, we didn't throw them in the deep end. We told them to put their toe in. We build it up. And one of the techniques in Thrivers is how to crunch any task into smaller parts so you shrink the kid's worry. How do you shrink a worry? Let's open the, let's open the window today. Oh, well, it looks like we're okay. Okay, now let's together open the door and put our foot out. Okay. Strump by jump, you're finally helping the child learn to face the fear. So he gets out to the mailbox back on the school bus and he realizes he can handle it. Mm. Thrivers have agency. Yeah, brilliant. Eating the elephant one bite at a time. Exactly, sure. yeah. So we have listeners who have younger kids, um, but we have a lot of listeners too who have teenagers and even young adults who... Mm -hmm maybe entering the ecosystem of wilderness therapy or residential treatment or mm -hmm. certainly aware of it. Um, it's never too 
uh, late, obviously, to model some of these strengths. Uh, what would you recommend for parents of older children to, to you know, who, who, who maybe haven't done all they could or, you know, want to learn more or want to be able to model some of these strengths in their older children? Well, Thrivers is going to have everything and anything for every age, including the older kid and adults. But let's get back to what kids say when I ask teens, what do you need most? And the fascinating thing is, it's, uh, I, I need my parents to be calm and tell me we'll get through this, or you're okay as you're good enough and we'll be fine, we're gonna get through it. Parents, they say, sometimes don't have the right words. Since you don't have to say anything sometimes, just be there calm and rub my back and let me know I, that you're always there for me. It's amazing how many kids are coming up with that as what they want. I, I get to, um, the one story, every chapter has a story about a real kid that we know. My favorite one is, is Empathy, and it's Elizabeth Smart. Mm. Elizabeth Smart was at gunpoint, knife point, kidnapped, raped, unbelievable trauma and terror for nine months. Right. She endured. When you look back and you, and I reread and reread and reread, she said the one defining moment that said, I am going to get through this is remembering what my mother said a few weeks before I was kidnapped. She said, Elizabeth, remember above all else, I will always love you. I will always be with you. No matter what happens, I am where for you. She said that voice came through me and said, no matter what, my mother is there for me. I'm going to be able to get through this. Great. Um, can you tell us what the multiplier effect is? The multiplier effect is sometimes we think there's only one trait that matters. And I, when I was looking at which of these traits matter most, I became, I had the, my own aha moment that there isn't one trait. It's a combination of traits. So the dive in parent, figure out which traits of the seven your kid needs. Maybe it's optimism right now. Maybe it's self-control, but don't just think it's one trait. When you put two traits together, like optimism and self-control, you, it creates the multiplier effect. It makes them a superpower and amplifies it. You put three traits together, like empathy, self-control, and optimism, you got a change maker on your hands. So we've, we've gotten locked in our, into our own mentality or wrong mindset that it's one thing that we should be teaching. Find the strengths that matter most to your kids, put them together, and that's how you impact your child's life. Excellent. Okay, we're just about out of time. I want to make sure that people know where to be able to find and order this awesome book that oh, contains all you. this great content. Can you can you yeah. tell us where the best place to look for it is? Well, my first of all, my name's Michelle Borba. I'm a 1L Michelle and my last name Borba rhymes with Zorba. So that's my website. You can find everything there. If you're a teacher, by the way, there's a free 17 page teacher download on how to do this in a school so that we're working with Thrivers together. The book itself is an audio, digital and hardback copy. It's on Amazon right now at a, I think a 30% discount or any bookstore independent, wherever books are sold, it's there. Uh, I would just say, dive in. It is not a book you read from start to finish. I don't want you to. Instead, I want you to read the introduction, take the, take the core asset survey of your child, and then go immediately to one skill your child needs right now, and then add the next and the next and the next. It's one of those books you can refer back to continuously. I hope so. That's why I made everything different ages for kids. Because 
many parents have more than one kid. So how am I going to do this in my family and make it work? Thank you, Michelle. Uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you and I learned a lot. I know parents are going to get a lot out of it. Really helpful information about parenting of children of any age. And like I said at the beginning, I wish I had this book in hand about 20 years ago <laughs> when my kids were younger. Uh, my kids are resilient, but they would have been that much more resilient, I think. Um, next episode, we'll be talking with Will White, who produces a very well-known podcast called Stories from the Field. He has over 30 years experience in wilderness therapy and is a student of its history, value, and controversy. We'll be talking about all of that and then some more. So parents, remember, take care of your children and empower yourself with information at Parents Journey.